The student ministry podcast you're about to hear is a lesson taught by Brother Kerry Schmidt during a Wednesday night teen Bible study. The series is entitled Avoiding the Traps of the Teen Years, and we hope this message will be a blessing to you. For more sermon resources, please visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. Okay, Psalm 91, let's look at it, okay? Follow along with me. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare. The word snare is a trap. It's synonymous with the word on the screen, snare. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Anybody know what a fowler is? Someone who traps birds, okay? So the psalmist is using an illustration. You're the bird. Satan is the fowler. And he's going to set a snare, okay? And, and the psalmist is saying, if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty, if God is your refuge, if God is your fortress, if you trust in him, then you're going to be delivered from the snare, the trap that's being set for you by the fowler. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not come nigh thee. The picture he's painting there is that you're journeying through life and there's arrows and terror and um, danger and pestilence and destruction all around you. And you're, you're walking through life and you've got people all around you. Verse 7, look at it. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand. You got all this chaos, all this destruction happening on all sides of you. But this verse says it doesn't come near you. It doesn't come nigh to you. I want you to picture, I don't know if you've ever seen a movie that had some epic battle like the Lord of the Rings kind of thing, you know. And imagine standing in the middle of all that and everywhere around you is slaughter and, and pestilence and, 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 and violence and people being destroyed all around you and you're just standing there. And it's not touching you. It's not coming near you. That's the picture he's painting. And he's saying, when you are in the will of God, and when you have a relationship with God, when you're walking through this life with God, you're invincible to the fowler, to the destruction that Satan would want to bring through the, the traps that we've talked about. Look at verse 7 again. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Why? Verse 9, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, this is the Lord talking now, 
Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. What I want to give you tonight is five ways to avoid the traps that we've been talking about. I've given you a lot of traps. I think we've covered eight of them. Let's review them real quick. What's the first one? Peer pressure. Giving in to the pressure of other people. Second one was what? The one you guys don't want to talk about, right? Sexual impurity. Okay? And we talked there about getting answers from authority so that you can tell truth from lies. And we talked about it being worth the wait and keeping your purity. Okay? Third one was exclusive guy-girl relationships. We talked about the kind of relationships that are consuming, that become idolatrous, that, be, that become uh, obsessions in your life. And they, those kind of relationships trade what for what? They, train, they trade preparation for pretend. So they're a waste of time because, and they're destructive in the sense that while you should be preparing in your relationship with God, God should be first in your life, so you're becoming the right kind of person for eventually the right relationship. Instead, you, put a, you push the pause button on preparing and you just start pretending that you're in love and everybody in here dreams someday of being in love, and so you'd rather pretend now because it feels better to pretend that you're in love now than it does to prepare and wait. And the big line that we all struggle with is, I'm just tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. And I said in that lesson, you're not waiting, you're preparing. And uh, I, I, I said this past week, I wrote an article to college students, impatience destroys more people than just about anything else that I know of. Impatience. I want then, now. I don't want to wait till then. I want then, now. And it can happen in lots of areas of your life. It can happen in high school with dating relationships, with friendships, with even just freedom and, and responsibility. You want, you want people to treat you like you're 20 or 25 now. And, but you're not ready. You're preparing for then. Uh, Bible college students, it happens. You get in Bible college, you hate Bible college. I hated Bible college. I hated Bible college. Why? Because I didn't want to be in Bible college. I was in Bible college because I wanted to be in the ministry. I didn't want to be in Bible college. If I could skip Bible college and go to the ministry, I would have. I went to Bible college, not so I could be there, but so I could be someplace else. So the whole time you're in Bible college, you don't really want to be there. But it is a necessary time to be there so that one day when you're in the ministry, you're ready. So right now, you don't want, a lot of you, if you really are honest about it, you don't want to be kids anymore. You don't want to be in high school. Does anybody here really want to be in high school? No. A few of you do, okay. Uh, some of the seniors are going, yeah, I'd like to slow mine down a little bit. It's coming quick, graduation. You don't really want to be... You want to be in the next stage. Um, Haley was in the car with me not long ago. And uh, her big thing, I didn't realize this for the elementary kids, but in the programs, the elementary programs, it's like a, a giant promotion close to adulthood when you get to stand in the choir loft of the school program. Okay. So she's been waiting kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, Fifth grade was like the cutoff, from what I understand. Fifth grade always gets to stand in the choir loft. This year, they change it. They put like third and fourth grade up in the choir loft. Fifth grade's on the stairs. I cannot tell you how distraught 
my fifth grade girl was, that she had to stand on the stairs yet another year. I mean, she wept, she mourned, she agonized in the car. This was, this was a, an apocalyptic type of, of, of turmoil in her life. And I, I mean, finally where I'm like in the car going, shut up, it's not that big of a deal, you know. And it is a big deal, you don't understand. Dad, you don't get it, that's what she said. You don't get it, Dad, you don't get it. I'm like, here's what I get. You are getting on my nerves, you know. No, I tried to be like kind and sensitive, but after a while I'm like, you know, stand on the stairs. Uh, you know, I try to say, hey, be thankful that you get to go to a Christian school. Be thankful that we have stairs to stand on. You know, try to think of all the positives. You know, I finally came down to, you're so beautiful that they had to put you out in the front because they wanted everybody to see your face. You know, she didn't buy into that. But we were driving in the car, just the two of us, and, and she's, she is real, real, I can't wait. I can't wait till sixth grade. I can't wait till seventh grade. She's always got something she can't wait for. And I said, well, why? Well, because sixth grade get to do this. And she's always got that next thing. And I said, Haley, I said, just be careful. I said, if you go through life, always can't wait till the next thing. You never really enjoy this thing. And I said, there's always going to be the next thing. And God's going to take you there. and He's going to get you there in time. But make sure that you're not only thinking about the next thing when you should be really enjoying now. You only get one chance to be in fifth grade. And, and so a lot of impatience, guys, is huge. When it comes to dating, that's what we do. We trade, uh, out of impatience, we trade preparation for pretend. You'll be a better husband, a better wife, and you'll have a happier marriage if you'll stay out of that trap. Okay, so that was the third one. What was the fourth one? Anybody remember? I don't remember. Was it, no, it wasn't bitterness. Attitudes. Yeah, attitudes. We talked about attitudes. All right, I don't remember what we said about attitudes. Have a good attitude. Number five, media. We talked about controlling our media and spending less time online, spending less time on the phone, uh, on you know, text messaging, controlling all that, reining it in, how that can totally control your life. Number six was what? Bitterness. Bitterness. That was one of the most important ones. We talked about when trials come, when hardship comes, you get angry and you want to be justified in your anger, but at the end it just hurts you. Bitterness. Everybody in this room has had, or has, or will have a trial. Everybody in this room can have a reason to be angry at somebody else for hurting you, or at God for letting something happen to you. You can't do that. You can't go there. Okay? All it does is make you worse. It messes you up. Somebody else made a bad decision that impacted you. Getting angry about it is just going to wreck your future. And you've got to decide to take God's gr the path of grace instead of bitterness. We talked about the fork in the road about path, the path between grace and bitterness. When you claim God's grace, he heals you, and he takes what's wounded in you because of that trial or that burden, keeps it from getting bitter, and he makes it better, and he makes you better. Not so that you look back and be glad that happened, but you will be able to say, thank you, Lord, for what happened because of it. Thank you, Lord, for the outcome. I got an email today from a person in this room who's been going through a trial I was driving back from the doctor, I had a doctor's appointment in Hollywood, and um, I was driving back, and I, and I read that email to my wife, and uh, it, where's my wife? Oh, there you are. It, it literally brought tears to my eyes, because the, 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 the email said um, that some things I had written, or some ways I was responding to having cancer, 
was helping this person deal with another trial. And I said to my wife, um, if God will use this that way, then it's worth it. If God will use something in my life to help you keep from getting bitter and wrecking your life, then I would volunteer. Because that's how dangerous bitterness is. Uh, and if, if it took me getting sick to help that one person avoid bitterness and wrecking his life, <coughs> then I'm glad that God could use it that way. It was, it's worth it. Because bitterness is a lot more dangerous than cancer in terms of the outcome. So that was what, number six? Number seven was, anybody remember? Was that seven or eight? I thought eight was hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, you guys are right. So that was the last one, hypocrisy. And we talked a lot about being real, not being two people. All right, here's what I want to talk about now for the next uh, 25 minutes. How do you keep from stepping in these traps? When, when 1,000 people on one side and 10,000 people on another side are stepping in them, when everybody's stepping in traps all around you, how do you keep from stepping in these traps? Number one, write this down, and I've got five points tonight, and they're very simple. Number one is your walk with God. God has given you some things to me that I would call them guides. Okay? I would call them guideposts or, or guidance in your life. If you were walking through a minefield and you knew at any step you could blow up, you would really want to walk through that minefield with somebody who knew where the mines were planted. Somebody who could detect where those were planted. And guys, I don't know if you grasp this, but all these traps that we've been talking about are the devil's attempts to try to put attractive things in front of you so that you'll be lured in, and then over time, he can close that trap on you. Uh, and he can snare you in bondage to something or someone or some uh, terrible decision that will impact your life for for decades. You are the prey and a trap that you can't see the traps and what is a trap looks actually like something very inviting because it's covered up with bait. When a fowler traps a bird he lays out a net that the bird can't even see. I was reading about this today there's lots of different kinds of nets that the birds can't even detect are there and, and sometimes a fowler will take weeks and he'll lay out that net and then he'll just put food and he'll put bait and, and he'll let a bird that he's trying to trap get, just keep coming back for bait, keep coming back. And he'll let that bird eat that bait for weeks and weeks and weeks. He'll let that bird get so comfortable. At first, the bird might just spot it and kind of scout it out. But then he'll get a little closer, and he'll scout it out a little closer. And then he'll land somewhere near it and check it out. And he'll be real suspicious at first, but as, as the story plays out, that bird will ever and ever get a little closer and a little closer, and he'll just finally conclude hey, this is just bait, this is just food, this is just free for the taking. And he'll jump up onto that trap, and he'll play in that trap, and, this, and sometimes the fowler will let that happen for a long time before finally he closes the net. And once that net is over that bird, it's over. And that's, that's how the devil will do with you, is he'll put this stuff out in front of you. I mean, all these things we've talked about, peer pressure, and all these things are attractive. All these things have, at, at, at first, make you feel better. Hey, even bitterness. You have a trial or you let somebody hurt you, it feels good to get angry. It feels good to go, well, that stinks. That makes you temporarily feel better, but it's a trap. 
<coughs> so the devil is really good at hiding the damage that he's going to do underneath something that looks real attractive and you can't see it. And so God gives us some things that will, will be our guide, that will protect us, that cause us to take the right steps. Because you don't know where those steps are. I don't either. I don't know where, as I'm stepping through life, which is a trap and which isn't. I've got to have some things to protect me. And the first thing is, look at this in Psalm 91. And we read these first two verses. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. And probably more important than anything else I'm going to say, and everything else is built on this, is guys, if you're going to, if you're going to avoid these traps, if you're going to get 10, 20 years out from right now, and look back and go, wow, I didn't make any major missteps in my life. I didn't wreck my life. You're all going to have an opportunity to. But if you're going to survive, it's going to hinge on, did you walk with God? Did you spend time with God? Did you start every day or most days or even many days in God's word, asking for God's guidance and asking for God's presence to go with you? Did you intentionally say, God, I'm going to grab onto you and I want you to guide me. Come up here, Dana, just for a minute. I mean, let's say this is a minefield that we're walking through here. And Dana's going to represent the person that's asking God for guidance, and I'm going to represent God. So she begins her day here with me. She knows she's got to walk that path. She knows there's all kinds of minds that are stre stretched out through here. And I'm going to say, okay, stop right here. Now take a left here. Now, now go forward. And I'm going to guide her through. Stop. And, I'm going to, and this is what God will do if you have a relationship with him. He will guide you around the traps. He'll help you know where to step. You can be seated. Help you know where to step and when to step and, and where not to step. He'll just be with you. And he promises you, if you have a relationship with him and a walk with him, that he's going to protect you, that he will be your refuge. And people will be tripping and falling all around you, but there's going to be something supernatural about your life. And people will be going, why aren't you stepping in the same traps? People will even make fun of you for not stepping in those traps. People will belittle you for, for not stepping in those traps. But once they have figured out you're, that they're in the traps and you're not, they'll come to you for advice. How do I get out of my trap? I'll never forget uh, Jessica Lake. She came to me the year after she graduated from high school. She got a job at Penny's. She was selling shoes at J.C. Penny's. And this was her freshman year of college. And she came to me and she said, Brother Schmidt, oh my goodness, I can't believe my job at Penny's. It's so hard. I said, what's going on? She said, the people I work with, they just ridicule me. I said, well, tell me about it. She said, well, there's one girl in particular. She's, she's 19. She's just barely older than me. She's got uh, a baby. She's not married. She's basically a drug addict, you know, alcoholic. She parties all weekend. And she just, she said, she, she is just relentless on me. She's just constantly making fun of me and mocking me and telling me how stupid my beliefs are and telling me what a loser I am. And I'm telling you, in the moment, at the initial hit of that, Jessica was, was shaken. She was jolted. Her faith was tested because here she is thinking, well, maybe I'm missing something. And what, you know, these, I don't fit in. And the peer pressure that she experienced. And as I sat with her, I said, Jessica, think about it for a minute. Here's a girl who's 19, and she's already wrecked her life. She's already in all the traps. And I said, part of the reason she can't handle you is you're not in the traps. And that bothers her. She would rather you be messed up like her. And I said, you just love her and you stand your ground and you share your faith. And I promise you that same girl will be asking you for advice in a few months. 
You know what? That's what happened. That girl ended up respecting Jessica. That girl ended up coming back and saying, you know what? You're a lot better than I am. You've done a lot better job than I have. But initially, she was made fun of. Oh, I'm in the trap, and you didn't step in the same trap as me. You're stupid. And literally, people that are falling all around you are going to be making fun of you and mocking you. But it'll be your relationship with God. It'll be your walk with God. It'll be your time with Him that kind of shelters you, that puts you in this position where God is guiding every step. You know, having your devotions, it's not really about filling out your teens in action form. It's, it's not really about, you know, checking off your to-do list. It's, it's about you staying close to God so that he can guide you day by day. And I'll tell you this. You don't feel a whole lot different after you've had your devotions than you did before you had your devotions. Not, not usually. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you close your Bible and you're like, wow, I really needed that today. But sometimes, you guys know what I'm talking about? You close your Bible and you're like, well, I don't know that I got a whole lot out of that today. Sometimes walking with God is, can be boring. Sometimes walking with God can be kind of routine, but so can brushing your teeth. Do you still brush your teeth? Does it still keep you from getting cavities? Yeah. So my point is, it's still okay to do good things that are right for you, even though in the moment you might feel like it's not so great. I'm telling you right now, guys, even the days that you open the Bible or you pray or you spend time with God and you feel like nothing happened, even on those days, something happened. God is with you. God is going to guide you that day in ways you don't even realize. He's going to protect you from something you didn't even know was coming. I'm telling you, those days make a difference. Don't decide to walk with God when you feel like it or when you don't feel like it or when you're getting something out of it or when you don't. No, no, no. Just decide, I'm going to walk with God whether I feel the difference or not, whether I sense the difference, whether I see it or not, I'm going to do it because I know God is in this and I want him to protect me. So number one way you're going to avoid all these traps is by saying, God, I'm going to walk with you. I choose you to be my refuge. All right? I want you to turn over to Psalm 119. I'm going to give you number two. Psalm 119. Verse 110. And this ties in really closely to what we're talking about with your walk with God. But secondly, it's your walk in His Word. Your walk in God's Word. Psalm 119. And look at verse 110. And let's read it out loud. Ready, go. For the wicked have laid a snare for me, Yet I erred not. Let's try it again. Verse 110, ready? Go. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. God's precepts are his word. These are his principles. These are his laws. These are his guidelines for life. And one of the best ways to know where the traps are is to know his word. When you walk in his word, when you understand his word, when you learn his word, it educates you. It helps you figure out where not to step and why not to step there. It helps you see uh, the trap before you get to it. It helps you understand how the trap works and how he's going to try to snare you. And so our walk in the word of God. The Bible says that thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light of night. Have you ever walked in the dark? 
That's no fun. Your toes are going, no, don't try this. And your brain's going, no, I can do this. And your toes are going, no, you can't, please. And your brain's, you know, your, brain, your toes are going, please, find a light switch. I got up last night, and uh, I was trying to find something to drink. And Dana had made me a big orange Gatorade with, with ice, and she had set it on the nightstand right by the table because wake up at night, I kind of feel sick. I grab some Gatorade, it makes me feel better. And I should have turned on the light. I sat up in bed. I'm, I'm smart. I know where I'm at. I, I know my room, right? So, and, uh, so I sat up, and I reached out to grab that Gatorade, and my hand just, I mean, I thought, I thought the glass was here, and the glass was here. So I went through the glass, <laughs> and the glass just went, you know, and it just dumped all over the nightstand, all behind the nightstand, all in front of the nightstand. My phone is on the nightstand. She, she goes, I don't know if you, even, if you even know you did this. In her sleep, she goes, get your phone. <laughs> you know, it's like the first thought she had was, get your phone. So I grab my phone. I turn on the light. There's orange Gatorade pouring down all over, the, all over everything, you know, the pillows and the carpet and everything. I'm grabbing towels and mopping it all up. Stupid. All I needed to do was flick the light on, and I could have saved myself. Now, it's one thing to spill orange Gatorade. It's another thing to wreck your life. And I'll tell you this. If you're not studying the Word of God, now listen, on your own. If you're not opening the Bible on your own, in your own time, and saying, Lord, teach me what this is all about. Help me to understand this. If you're not searching the Bible for the secrets of life, you're walking in the dark, okay? You're walking in the dark, and you're not going to see the traps. You turn the light on. Every time you open the Bible, on your journey of life, you're turning the light on. You're, you're doing more than just keeping your, your toe from getting stubbed, okay? You are, you're shining the light on your path, and you're inspecting where you're at, and you're looking at what's ahead of you, and God's going to guide you through his word. So, the second principle here is your walk in his word. How do you avoid bitterness? How do you avoid wrong relationships? How do you avoid all the other things we've talked about? The trap of media, the trap of peer pressure, the trap of sexual impurity and, and these things. How do you avoid this stuff? Walk with God. Time with God. How do you avoid this stuff? Open his word. Shine the light on the path. Turn the light on. And, and, and the, the Bible says that you will not err from his precepts if you know his word. Your walk in his word. Now this one's going to catch you by surprise. Go to Proverbs 18. Proverbs 18. <clears throat> so the first one is what? You're what? You walk with God. Second one is what? You walk in his word. Third one is your words. Say what? Your words in this life. Proverbs 18, I'm sorry, yeah, 18. And look at verse 6 and 7. Everybody there? Proverbs 18, 6 and 7. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes, a fool's mouth is his what? And his lips are the... Oh, interesting. His lips are the snare of his soul. 
So here the Bible tells me that the way this man falls into the traps of Satan are by his own words. Now, I'm telling you, that, that one throws me for a minute. I'm like, okay, how does that... So my words take me down this path. I want to show you. Uh, hold your finger there. Hold your place there. Put a mark there. And go to James. And I want to teach you a principle that, to be honest with you, I don't think I ever really heard this principle taught until uh, a couple years ago. <clears throat> Verse 3. James I'm sorry, James chapter 3 talks about the tongue. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, stop there for a minute and think about what he just said. In verse 2, he said, If you can control your tongue, you can control your whole body. Now, think, think with me. Get your brain in gear. If you can control your tongue... You can control the rest of your life. What does that tell you about your tongue? It's almost like he's saying the tongue is the key to everything else. If you can control your tongue, you can control everything else. Look at the next verse. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. So he compares the tongue to a bit. I think, anybody ever uh, uh, ridden a horse or anybody here own a horse? or You know what I'm talking about? So you got a horse. We had, I had horses growing up for about a year. Um, and it, it was pretty basic. Go out, get the bit and the bridle, cram that bit up inside that horse's mouth, put the reins on, get up on top of that horse, and because of that little bit, that little piece of metal, you could now control the whole horse. And that horse would go wherever you, I wanted that horse to go because of that bit. I had a horse, actually I had a horse that was so good she didn't even need a bit. I could just get up on her and pull her, pull her mane whichever way I wanted her to go. She was just, she just loved to be ridden. But here, here the Bible says, you control your tongue, you control your whole body or your whole life. Then it compares it to a bit. You control the bit, you control the horse. Okay, look at the next verse. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great... And are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. So here it is. Now the picture is a ship. You got this massive ship, you got these massive waves and huge powerful winds, and you got this little rudder on the back of the ship that's connected to a helm at the top of the ship. And you got one man standing at the helm handling the helm of the ship and directing this ship through all kinds of fierce winds and all kinds of fierce storm, and waves by this one little piece called a rudder. And the picture here, guys, is pretty simple. Your words direct your life. If you want, and I know you've probably never heard this, if you want your life to go the right direction, start talking the right direction. Start using your words there's a principle here, and there's a lot of reasons why that I don't have time to go into. But can I tell you something? You believe yourself. More than anybody else on the planet, you believe you. 
And so when you say, I'm going to live for God, when you say, this is what I will do, I, when you use your mouth for good and for right, you know what you're doing? You're taking the rudder of your life. You're taking the bit of your life and you're directing your whole life the right direction. When you grab a hold of your tongue and you start talking right, and the opposite is true, when you lose control of your tongue, you lose control of your life. You start gossiping, you start slandering, you start complaining and murmuring, you start uh, letting bitterness take your words the wrong direction, you start using your tongue the wrong way, you're steering your life into the snares. We just read it in Proverbs. The lips of the fool are what put him in his own snare. And God gives us the principle in James that your words, hold the clicking please, your words guide your life. And so you start talking right, you start talking honorably, you start lifting up valuable communication that honors the Lord. And it's like taking the, taking the steering wheel of your life and steering your life the right direction. Your life will follow direction that your words establish. So your words in life, your walk with God, your walk in His Word, shining light on your path, your words, the way you talk, determines how you will respond and how the direction of your life will go. Let me tell you something about this trial that I'm dealing with right now. It was really important to me that I sit down at the beginning of this and choose my words very carefully. And the way I've done that is by writing. And I've been posting it on a blog. And I've been doing that for a number of reasons, but, the, but probably the deepest and most significant reason, even if nobody else ever read any of it, was I want to choose my course spiritually. And the way I'm doing that is by choosing my words. If I go public and say, I love God, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust him. Guess what I've just done, guys? I've set the steering wheel of my life. I've committed. It's just like an engaged couple who says, hey, let's get married. And so then what do they do? They set a wedding date. Why? Because they're going to give vows publicly. Why? Because those public vows hold a power. When they go public with their words, I do. Yes, I will. It's public now, and your words have set the course of your life. And even so, in my trial, I've chosen my words, I've published my words, because I want my words to guide me. And about the time the devil jumps on my shoulder and says, hey, why you? Why now? This is no fun. And about the time the devil jumps on me, I go, no. I've already written my manifesto. I've already placed my stake in the ground, I know where I'm headed, I know God's in control, I've already decided where I will stand because I've chosen my words. Your words will guide you in your life. And a lot of times we don't think of that that way, uh, but your words always direct your life. Always, always, always. So your walk with God, your walk in His Word, your words in life. Go back to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. Okay. Your walk with your friends. I want you to write a sentence down. And then we're going to read the verse. 
The sentence is this. Nobody falls into traps by themselves. Rarely does that ever happen. Rarely. Nobody falls into traps by themselves. I, I think in 20 years of youth ministry, there's very few, if any, times that I can recall where a teenager fell into a trap alone. He was with a crowd, she was with a crowd. Words. It, it, it just kind of fell apart. There was no walk with God. There was no walk in His Word. I'm walking in the dark. I start, my words start taking me astray. I find other people who I identify with in their words. Our communication is similar. Filthy communication corrupts good manners. Suddenly I'm with a crowd of people who are all walking in the dark. And we're all hanging around traps, and pretty soon we're all falling into traps. Your walk with your friends. Proverbs 22, look at verse 24. I'm in the wrong book. Hang on. Here we go. 22, 24. We read this when we were talking about bitterness. Make no friendship with a what? With an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou, what? Learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. So there's that word snare again. Look at the verse. You make friends with someone who's angry or furious or bitter. You're going to learn his ways and you're going to fall into the same trap. And so here we see a guy falling into a trap just because he became friends with somebody who was headed to a trap. So a big part of avoiding these traps is who are you walking with? And go back to look at the first three or four points. If you decide in life you're going to walk with people who are walking with God, if you decide in life you're going to walk with people who are walking in His Word, and you're going to walk with people who are speaking good things, then you're going to be around a crowd that's walking in the light, shining the light on their path. You're going to not be hanging around anywhere near the traps that the other crowd is going to be a part of. And a, a big decision in your life is, to avoid these traps, can I avoid people who are going to fall into those traps? Because I don't want to be dragged into the traps with them. And you have this obligation to your friends that you sense as teenagers, I've got an obligation. But let me tell you something. You have no obligation to someone who is not going to lead you the right direction. None. You're not to, you don't, you, it's not your job to save them. It's not your job to rescue them from their own traps. Your first responsibility as a teenager is to take heed unto yourself. Your responsibility when it comes to your friendships is to be very discriminating. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not talking about racially discriminating or ethnically discriminating. I'm talking about spiritually discriminating. It is it is. Your responsibility to look around the landscape of friends and say, who will lead me away from the traps? Who is walking with God? Who has a sincere godly testimony? Who obviously knows the word of God or desires to learn the word of God? Who in this room, who in this youth group would never laugh at a dirty joke or never bring up some uh, sexual connotation or insinuation? Who would never go the wrong direction? That's the people that I want to be hanging around. The people that are, 
that whose words are wrong and who are angry or the people that are not walking with God, they're the ones that you're going to fall into the trap with. And I've dealt with a lot of situations where there was a party that wasn't quite as angry as the rest or wasn't quite as bad as the rest. They just wanted to be a part of the accepted crowd and so they got in with it. But when the trap came closed, they were in it as well. And boy, at that point, they wished they had never gotten in with that crowd. So your walk with your friends is a big choice. And then go back to Proverbs chapter 3 and we're almost done. Proverbs chapter 3. And it's this one, your walk with guidance, or you might want to say it this way, I probably should have said this, your walk with guides, G-U-I-D-E-S. And by that, you might want to put in parentheses, authorities. Your God-given authorities in life. Your God-given authorities. Proverbs chapter 3, and I want you to look at this. My son, verse 1, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. I want you to look up here and let me explain what's happening here. Solomon is writing these words after he himself fell into a lot of traps. He's writing to his son and he's saying, please listen to me because I want to protect you. I want you to have long days and I want your life to be a life of peace. And Solomon's saying, let me guide you. Larry, let let me borrow you for a minute. You know what every one of us has in this room? Every one of us. Come over here because this side didn't get to see the illustration last time. You guys over here dialed in, okay? You know what I want to do for Larry as his dad? I don't, I don't want to withhold any good thing from him. There's nothing. Guys back in the back row, you guys listen up. There's nothing that I would withhold from him that would be good for him. I mean... Every good thing in life, I want him to have. Everything, every good thing that God wants him to have, I want him to have. Your parents feel the same way. And God's given you some people in your life, your parents, your pastors, your teachers, your guides. It kind of encompasses every adult that cares about you. And you know what, what I see my role in Larry's life and in, and in your life to some degree? Is as we're going through life, it's like this. Hey, stay behind me. Stay with me. Watch right there. Watch right there. Okay. Let's, let's come through. The, hey, watch this guy. Let's watch this guy. He looks pretty scary right here. Okay. What, oh, she's definitely scary. Stay away from her. Come over here. Ooh, ooh, watch out. Watch out. Larry. Watch out. Yvonne bites. She definitely bites. Okay. You, you good? You good? You with me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. See that little speck of stuff on the carpet there? Yeah. That's, uh, that's chemo. Don't take that. Okay. And, and in doing this, I'm protecting Larry, okay? You can be seated, Larry. No, just stand there the rest of the time. No, just teasing. I'm protecting him. I'm saying, hey, come, come, stay with me, stay close. Watch with me, walk with me. Don't step where I say don't step. Step where I say step. Stop if I say stop. Hold on. I'm guiding you. Now, you guys view this as controlling and authoritarian and and, and it's a burden, because what you want to do is break out. You like, I don't need all this guidance. Let me just do my thing, and then Yvonne's going to bite you. Let me just, let me just break out of this. I don't, I don't want parents and everybody telling me what to do. And if you're not careful, you're going to be 18 or 19, and you're going to shake it off. You're going to go, oh, finally, I can just be who I want to be. That's like saying, finally, 
I can just go trap jumping. I can just go head diving into traps. It's very foolish when God has given you some guides, some people in your life to protect you and to watch for you and to care for you. And the people in here that will avoid the traps, they're the ones who will gladly stand behind authority and follow authority. I'm not saying that authority has total control. I'm saying authority is protecting you. Authority is helping you know where to step and when to step. And how does that play out? It plays out when your parents sit down with you and say, hey, you probably shouldn't go that direction with that relationship. Hey, you probably shouldn't spend, why don't you give me your cell phone for a little while? Hey, why don't you turn off the TV? Why don't you turn off the game? Why don't you stop doing that? And you think, oh, what's wrong with it? Hey, they're just protecting you. They're just guiding you to keep you from falling into a trap that could later hurt you. So five things. Your walk with who? Number two, your walk in his word. Number three, your words. Number four, your walk with friends. Who are you going to hang out with? And number five, your walk with guides or guidance in your life. Now, are you, here's the question I have for you. In these five areas, how are you faring? Are you headed to traps? Even though you know what they are. Oh, bitterness, exclusive relationships, sexual impurity. We know what the traps are. But if you're not following these principles, you're headed straight for them. In five and ten years, are you going to be in the traps? Or will you have followed these five things to stay out of them? Thank you for listening to this Student Ministry 127 podcast. For more sermon resources, visit preaching.lancasterbaptist.org. And for information about West Coast Baptist College, visit wcbc.edu.